blessing and for many reasons. First of all, hallelujah, Jesus saves. Amen, a wonderful song and well done and thankful for young people that will sing and not just sing, but will be a personal witness and testimony for the fact that Jesus saves. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word this morning. I pray that we would understand that the message is not for those around us, but it is for each of us individually. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide and direct every word. And Lord, may we listen with an intent to respond. May we listen with an intent to obey the truth of your word. I pray that you'd bless and help in the preaching of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Bible says in verse number 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. The Bible says in verse number 9, That if thou shalt confess. The Bible says that if thou. When I preach this morning on this subject, it's your turn. You ever been playing a game and it stopped because somebody wasn't paying attention and they didn't take their turn. You said, go ahead, it's your turn. Or have you ever been in a Christmas play and it was somebody's turn? And all eyes turned to work. And, oh, and then they look and realize, oh, it's my turn. In this passage of Scripture, it reminds me and it helps me to see something throughout the Word of God I would not paid attention to before. I want to begin with a story and a story that perhaps is familiar and even happened to many folks that are here this morning. I was witnessing to a man and he was interested in the gospel. He knew the purpose of my witness was that he could know for sure he was going to heaven when he died. He knew he needed to be born again and so I went through the simple plan of salvation. I said, do you understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? I understand that. While we may be good in comparison to others, when we stand before God, we come short of His perfection. We come short of His glory because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I said, second of all, you must understand that there is a penalty for sin. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. Revelation chapter 20, the Bible tells us about those that stood before God and the books were opened and the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books. And those that were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire because the wages of sin is death, not just physical death. The wages of sin is eternal death. But the good news is the third thing. Jesus came to die for our sin. He came to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to pay the wage. He died on the cross in my place, in your place, to pay for our sin. He died in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now the fourth thing, sir, you have to understand is that you have to receive Christ as Savior. You have to decide. You have to use your will to receive him, understanding that only he can pay the penalty of your sin. Would you be willing to receive Christ as your Savior right now? And here was a response. I'm just not ready. 
or I just do not feel the time is right. And it seems as if they were waiting for God to do something else, something more than he has already done, waiting for a feeling, maybe a tragedy, maybe a miracle. But the truth is this morning, there is nothing more that God will do than he has already done and doing for a person to be saved. For you see, the gospel is complete. The gospel is presented, and now it's your turn. You must decide whether you will receive or reject Christ as Savior. We understand that truth. How many of you have witnessed to someone and that's where it ended right there? Raise your hand. Many folks, many folks. It's interesting to me that as I read through the amazing miracles of the Bible, and there's no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. There's no greater miracle than to become a child of God. There's no greater miracle than to realize the blood of Christ cleanses and washes away my sin. There's no greater miracle than to know that I've changed from a, a path toward a devil's hell uh, to on the path toward eternal life with Christ. But as I looked at the miracles in the Bible, I, I, I was amazed at some little bitty thing that had to be done by an individual before the power of the miracle took place. For example, and I'll tell you just a few. The children of Israel were delivered from the land of Egypt. Egypt was a place of bondage. It was a place of slavery. You remember the story. There were ten plagues that it took to get Pharaoh's attention for him finally to say for the children of Israel to leave Egypt and God delivered them from the land of Egypt to give them the promised land, to give them the land of Canaan. They come out of the land of Egypt as a mighty army of God's people and as they begin to march all of a sudden just ahead, they see there is a body of water. And as they begin to march and they, uh, those in front, they stop and uh, those behind them begin to gather and realize there is a large body, a sea of water, the Red Sea that separates them uh, from where they're going through the wilderness to the land of Canaan. Now you know the miracle God parted the water and it was an amazing miracle and uh, it doesn't matter if we believe it or not, if God said it, it's true, right? It is true, and God parted the water. They walked across on dry land, and uh, some have tried to explain it away. One story I've told before is one professor said, you have to understand at that time of the year, uh, the water was very shallow, and uh, the boys that were all excited about the miracle, they calmed down to realize it wasn't such a big miracle after all because just, uh, just a little bit of water. But the preacher boy kept reading, and then he said, well, I found another miracle. He said, what's that? He said, Pharaoh's army drowned in a foot of water. <laughs> anyway, you look at it, it was a miracle. And what the Bible says is exactly what happened. They walked across on dry land. When God's people got to the other side, they stopped and looked back. In fact, they built a memorial because God brought the waters back together and Pharaoh's army was drowned in the midst of the sea. 
But there was some instruction given before the water parted that's just interesting to me. And I wonder, I wonder why even God did it. But as I looked at all miracles, I found the same thing in all of them. God said, Moses, I want you to take the rod that's in your hand and I want you to hold it out over the sea. And when you hold your a rod out over the sea, I'll part the waters. Now, I don't know why, but it seems like in every single thing, and certainly the greatest miracle of all, and that's the miracle of salvation, God said, now I've done everything, it's your turn. You have to make, though it be small, you have to make a decision of faith. Moses behind you is Pharaoh's army and they're closing in. I have put a pillar, a cloud between you so they can't get to you, but, but they'll soon see you and if you don't cross the water, you'll lose your life here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the rod, hold it out over the sea and the Bible says as he obeyed the waters part and they went across on dry land. Think of that if you will. The children of Israel get to the wilderness. It was there that they faced yet another crisis. It was there that they had no water to drink. There was no water in the desert. God again, uh, Moses again goes to God on behalf of the people. By the way, most trials in our life are just to get our attention toward God and help us to remember that we need God. Can I tell you today, you and I need God. If your health is good, you still need God. If your circumstances are good, you need God as much as those whose circumstances are bad and who face great difficulty today. We need God equally, but trials come. And here there was a trial that they had no water. The people complained to Moses. Moses went to God. And here's what God told Moses. He said, there is a rock at Horeb. The rock of Horeb. You can see picture of it today. And I looked at one this week, uh, the picture of the rock of Horeb. He said, I want you to take the rod and I want you to smite the rock. And when you hit that rock, water is going to come forth out of, out of the rock. Now, what a miracle it was that the water gushed forth out of the rock. And it didn't just make a little puddle or pool of water. But that water followed them through the wilderness and God provided the water from the rock. The truth is, it's just almost beyond our comprehension of what happened, though we believe it because God said it and it was a mighty miracle. But you look at that little seemingly insignificant thing. Moses, it's your turn. I have the power I can provide, but I want you to smite the rock one time with your rod. It's your turn. You say, preacher, what would have happened had he not smitten the rock? I don't think God would have given the miracle. I know this, if you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, you can't be saved. No matter how great it is, no matter how wonderful it is, no matter how amazing it is, you can't be born again unless you put your faith and trust in Christ. Moses did smite the rock and the water did come forth. Think of the miracle of raising Lazarus from the grave. You remember the story they called for Jesus to come to Bethany because Lazarus was sick. Jesus delayed his coming and then when Jesus did come as he was on his way, they told him, they said, Jesus, it's too late. Lazarus has already died. Now we know it's never too late for Jesus because he does not operate by time and circumstance. He is God. 
And so Jesus comes and he finds that Lazarus has been in the grave four days. No embalming. Decay has already begun. I'll not go through all of the story, but it's interesting to me as I read the story and I keep waiting for Jesus to give instruction. What little thing is he going to tell them to do? They get to the place where Lazarus is buried and he says this, remove the stone. How small, how seemingly insignificant, how, how easy. By the way, Jesus didn't need them to remove the stone. Anybody can raise somebody from the dead can remove a stone. And, 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 and when the stone was rolled away, when Jesus came out of the grave himself, the stone was not rolled away so he could get out. The stone was rolled away so they could see in and see that he was gone. Jesus did not need somebody. He didn't say, now, fellas, if I had somebody strong enough to remove that stone, I think I could raise Lazarus from the grave, but I just don't think I can remove the stone. It, it, it's simple, isn't it? But he said, remove the stone. And when they removed the stone, Jesus cried and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came, bound in his grave clothes. And he said, loose him and let him go. What a miracle it was. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. Now, you may be here today and you're already saved. You've received Christ as your Savior. But what is it that God is waiting for in your life to do something great? to do something powerful, even to perform a miracle in your life. Is it your turn? Is God waiting on you in some area of your Christian life? Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I want you to notice that Jesus calls here uh, for those that are weary and those that are heavy laden, those that are hurting in this world, uh, those that are worn out from the uh, difficulties of life, from the rat race of life. I want you to notice what he says. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I wonder how many say, boy, I wish I could... I wish I could get some relief from this stress. I wish I could get some relief from this overwhelming feeling. I wish I could just get some rest in my mind and heart and know that God is in control where he says here, it's your turn. Rest is available, but you have to come to me. Now, what's he talking about here? He's not talking about a physical address, but he's talking about an act of faith. He's talking about an act of prayer. He's talking about us saying, Lord, I'm coming to you, and Lord, I bring my burdens, and I bring the overwhelming difficulties that are on my mind and my heart. I'm coming to you. I promise you God will do what he said he would do. Not one time did he say, uh-oh, Moses, it didn't work this time. I'm sorry. He didn't say to the people, I'm sorry, you're going to put the stone back over the, over the grave. I, I couldn't raise him from the grave. He never has failed. So if there is failure, the failure is not on God's part. It's just God waiting for us, and he's looking at us saying, it's your turn. When I present the gospel and a person says, well, I, I, I just don't have the right feeling or I don't think it's the right time, a friend can I tell you, that's a deception of the feelings of your flesh. God has done everything. The gospel is now being presented to you. It's your turn. 
Notice what the Bible says in the next verse. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. The only way you can learn of Christ is to serve him, to serve with him. Oh, it's so full of meaning there. Serving with Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in, your, in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what he's saying? You don't have to pull the load by yourself. Take the yoke. You get on one side. I'll get on the other side. We will pull together and you'll find that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you need rest today? It's your turn. Do you need your burden lightened today? It's your turn. Come unto me, Jesus says. Take your Bibles and go to Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33. I want you to notice we find here uh, Jeremiah, he is shut up in the court of the prison. In fact, he is in the inner court of the prison. He has been so mistreated by those that he expected to become believers in God and those that would obey the truth that he would proclaim. But they didn't and they put him in jail and he wonders to himself, what in the world can I ever do in jail? What can I do? Notice what the Bible says in Verse number 3, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now I want you to notice, he said, if you call unto me, I will not only answer you, I'll show you great and mighty things. Let me ask you a question. Whose turn is it? <clears throat> is it your turn? Is it my turn? Do I need something in my life to accomplish the will of God? Is there a need in my life, a burden that I'm carrying alone? He said, call unto me and I'll answer thee. I go in faith believing that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Is it your turn? Is it your turn for salvation? Is it your turn to come to him for rest? Is it your turn to come to him by calling on him? In Matthew chapter 4, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's amazing as I look at the Bible and see the greatness of God and I see all that God has done. I see the miracles. And by the way, he has not run out of power. He is not short on power. He is able to do today what he's always done. He's the same yesterday, today and forever and so if I need God if there is a need in our lives we are not waiting on God it's our turn think of this story you recall the story of Naaman the leper he was an army captain the Bible called a man of great valor and yet he had an incurable disease of leprosy a little girl, a little, a little maiden, she said, boy, if you could get to the man of God, he could help you. And so he goes to town and he goes to meet Elijah. And when he gets to the house of Elijah, he expects Elijah to come out and perform a miracle over him and to take away his leprosy. Elijah did not come out. Elijah sent a servant out to see Naaman. Naaman was upset by that. He said, well, I thought the man of God at least would come out and see me. In fact, I thought the man of God would say something over me and would heal me and all would be well. But this servant that I don't even know, he comes out and tells me to go dip myself in the Jordan uh, seven times and I'll be made whole I think that's the craziest thing I ever heard and the Bible says he's wroth and his servant said you've still got leprosy your ideas your feelings they don't work doesn't matter how you feel Naaman 
Wouldn't it be better if you just obeyed and did what he said? And that servant, as a soul winner, would continue to encourage or urge as Paul worked to compel. The servant said, Naaman, why don't you just do what he said? Naaman goes down to the Jordan River. God's always been able. God is able. But God always says, here's your part. It's small. It's something that anybody can do. Aren't you glad God didn't say for you to have salvation, go to heaven, you have to give a million dollars? Aren't you glad he didn't say that? Aren't you glad he didn't say in order for you, you to go to heaven, you have to attain and maintain a certain level of living in your mind and in your behavior before you can go to heaven? Aren't you glad God didn't say that? God simply said all you have to do is believe that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's your turn. It's your turn. Naaman comes out of the waters and he's cleansed. The children of Israel, they come to Jericho. It straightly shut up. It's amazing how God has wrought victories. And every time God gives a different instruction for them to do, but every time it is connected to their faith and obedience to God. You come to the, Jer or you come to the Jericho uh, city and it straightly shut up. What do you want us to do? I want you to walk around the city every day for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. Why would we do that? When you do that, the walls of the city are going to fall down. won't matter if they have a gate or not. won't matter if they have a soldier or not. The walls are going to fall down. You're going to take the city. You say, I just, I, I just don't feel like that will work. We'll stand outside of Jericho all you want, but it's your turn. Isn't it simple? In the victories of God aren't the blessings of God. That's what God wants in our life. The Bible says in James chapter, uh, John chapter 1 and verse number 12, But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Romans chapter 10 verse number 13, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why is it we wait for a feeling? Why is it we wait for God to do something else when I look to see what he's already done? The miracle of this book right here, that God has preserved his living word, his inspired word. It's alive and it's preserved for me and it's filled with promises. And I'm standing here saying, okay, God, I want, to, I want you to prove yourself. Prove himself. The sun came up this morning just like it did for all the years before we were born and be coming up after we're gone. And the sun will go down and everything is in its place. You know why? God's in control. And he gave us his book and God is saying, it's your turn. Sometimes we reason like a fellow who would say, now, well, I've been sick and as soon as I get better, I'm going to a doctor. Yeah, you don't get better to go to the doctor. You go to the doctor to get better. You don't hurt your finger and then hit it with a hammer. The hurt doesn't come first. I'll never forget, I was at work one day years ago. And I had a boss who was quite a prankster. He told one of the fellows, he said, uh, Robin, he said, put your finger right there. And he knew what he was going to do. Robin thought he would act like he would hit it and not hit it. He thought Robin would pull his finger back when he started to hit it. They were both wrong. He put his finger on the counter, and my boss took a hammer and hit it. <laughs> it's still funny, 30 years later. 
You, 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 you don't lose your appetite and then eat. You don't get rid of your headache and then take an Advil. You don't get an education and then go to school. You don't get a paycheck and then go to work. Uh, you don't get the blessings of God and then obey. We obey first, and as I obey, God blesses. It's our turn. It's my turn. When I get up in the morning, God will have already done all his work. It'll be my turn. And when I go to him, I'll find that he's there. I won't be put on hold. I won't, be, I won't have to choose which language that I'll talk to God in. I don't, I don't have to do any of that. God is there. He's available. It's our turn. Many times I've performed wedding ceremonies, gone through all of the preparations and the, and, uh, the rehearsal and they've done all the decorations and, and uh, the wedding party is assembled and, and you know we practice and I said that's real easy all you have to do is say I do you wouldn't believe how many times those fellas will stand there and I see a mouth I do I do I do they're practicing they don't want to forget they dead sure don't want to say do I huh. but they'll stand there and they'll practice and then I, then I tell fellows, now when you stand there, sometimes you get a little nervous, and, 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 and being nervous, you won't think about it. You'll lock your knees and pull your kneecaps up. I said, don't do that. If you do, we'll all find out about it because you'll pass out. And I said, now and again, you just want to you, 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 you just bend your knees. Some of them go during the whole wedding. You, know, you want to know if they've got earbuds in their ears to see if they're listening to something. But they're just, they don't want to pass out. They get nervous. And, 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 and it doesn't matter what happens in the whole ceremony. They're thinking, when am I supposed to say I do? I've had them, when I was getting ready to, uh, to read the scripture, I, I do. Not, not now, wait just a minute. <laughs> then we finally come to the place. Do you take this woman whose right hand you now hold to be, uh, to be your lawfully wedded wife? And then all eyes look at him. And we're waiting for him to say, I do. And we're going to wait until he says, I do. And God's waiting for some folks to say, I do. God's already said, I'm prepared a way for your sins to be forgiven. I've given my son to die on the cross to pay for your sins in your place. I've prepared for you a home in heaven. And if you'll, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you can be saved. Will you? I, I, I've never had anybody in a wedding say, I just don't feel like the time is right. I've never had that. <clears throat> I've never had anybody say, let, let me think about it. Typically, it's a quick I do. It's time. How many blessings are in our life today that God has done all of the work? He's prepared. He wants to bless us. And he's waiting for us to pray. He's waiting for us to surrender. You know, in John chapter 15, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. In the fifth verse, he said, If you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit. What he's talking about is talking about fellowship with the Father. The branch is there, and when the vine spends time in the branch, when it abides in the branch, it brings forth much fruit, and its prayers are answered. 
I wonder what God is waiting for us, and I wonder how many folks are waiting for God when it's not God's turn. It's our turn. Stand with me, if you will, this morning. Is God waiting for an act of faith? Is God waiting for a forgiveness? Is God waiting for an act of obedience in your life? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation time. I wonder this morning if there's anyone here that would say, Pastor, I have not yet received Christ as Savior. I plan to, I need to. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if there's someone that would say, Pastor, I plan to. Pray for me that I would make that decision to receive Christ. Would you raise your hand this morning? Anyone like that as I look across the auditorium? Would you raise them and hold them there just a moment? I see your hand. I see your hand. Now God's done everything that can be done. It is your turn. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Do you need rest this morning? Do you need relief this morning? Do you need a miracle of God in your life? Perhaps God's waiting for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that have never trusted you, but they need to, and they know it. I pray that today, in the invitation song, they would step out of their seat. They would make their way to this altar and would receive you as their Savior. <clears throat> I pray for Christians that are somehow just waiting on God and God's waiting on their obedience to make a decision of obedience today. Bless our invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.